Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording from the vault in the Denver complex of the Colorado Department of Corrections. I'm Denise Presson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I'm Andrew Draper, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. I'm Ashley Hamilton, the founder and director of the DU Prison Arts Initiative. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. A couple episodes ago, we heard from Terry Mosley Jr., our Reverberations newsletter liaison. We heard about his experiences with the arts and how they created a transformative and healing space for him, even while serving his life sentence. In this episode, we talked to Mr. William S. Graham, the man behind the poetry of Will's Corner. You hear it at the end of all of our episodes, and we wanted you to all get to know the brilliant artist he is and how his artistry has been a shelter for him his whole life and not just while in prison. William S. Graham is 34 years old and a resident at DRDC. Of a 72-year sentence, he's served 15 years. He is a creative writer and our resident poet here at Within. In the last year alone, Will has published five books. He's a peak team leader and helps get both incoming staff and inmates oriented to the facility. When Will isn't writing, he's working as an OCA in the infirmary. He's also a DU Pi group leader. Today we're going to explore what it means to be an artist before prison, coming into prison, and in prison. Let's go. Welcome, William. How you doing? Y'all ain't got no fancy music or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really special for us to have Will because he has been in the room um, since day one working on the podcast with us. The majority of the folks who are working on our podcast who are incarcerated um, are not residents in Denver. They're actually residents at a facility in Sterling, Colorado, almost two hours away from Denver, and they've been moved to Denver to work on the podcast. So uh, Will is sort of our... He lives in the Denver facility, um, and he has all of those roles that were mentioned in his bio. So he is um, sort of our liaison and, and staple podcast creator here. And Most we're so definitely. grateful to get to talk to him today about being an artist in prison. Thanks for having me. Before I forget, what's a fun fact that people should know about you? Um, a fun fact is uh, I actually did music on the outside. I actually produced and wrote music on the outside before I really started writing books and getting more art form, you one would say. I mean, still the art form of art, but I liked it books. I liked the music more than I liked it books. Was there like a discovery of art in your life or was it something that you were born with? I would say uh, a little bit of both. I believe I discovered it out of uh, like kind of like you never seen one of those kids that I was the type of child that I spent a lot of time by myself. So it's kind of like it was I always was enthusiastic about music type of thing. But uh, so I spent a lot of time just kind of like really entertaining myself type of like latchkey kid, if you want to call it. But uh, so as I began to write more music and begin like to study certain stuff, my first couple of raps, you know, I was writing raps. It sucked. Like, but I was just kind of stayed at it and honing the skills. So I would say it's a little bit of both. If you ask me, like part of you, you look at it and say, you know, why does a kid do like like bricks, like a brick masonry? Or like why does a kid like bricks for some odd reason? Why does a kid like a car automa uh any kind of car? He likes taking cars apart and stuff like that. I think it's both I think you learn it, but also with art you have to have it like inside you a lot. So walk us back to the very beginning. Walk us through <clears throat> your journey and your discovery of art and your draw towards art. I mean, as an artist myself, I um I feel like my relationship to art is one of the most important relationships in my life. I'm curious, sort of, I know one thing you shared with us and I think is really important for our listeners to be aware of um, is that you were born in prison. Right. Well, it's like, uh, well, I'm a second generation, you know, second generation uh, mess up, if you want to call it that. Basically, my mom was, uh, you know, she was, you know, at the time in the 80s getting high type of thing. So, 
what she did was, you know, she was with her boyfriend trying to rob somebody, I guess, and uh, end up the dude ended up getting hurt, getting killed. So they end up giving the, her boyfriend a life sentence and gave her like 20 years, the harshest sentence for like a woman in like 1984. So, uh, so she got basically me in the stomach type of thing. And uh, she basically went to prison. So baby was born, me, straight to the infirmary, prison infirmary, then handed off to the adoption agency. No father, no mother. So I bounced around from the adoption agency, home to home, living with different families. I've lived with an all-Caucasian family. I've lived with, like, different families. Like, I lived with an older lady that was basically, she had cancer. She passed away, took us back to the adoption agency, me and my brothers and stuff. So... I have, like, a different view of, like, when I look at art, I look at it from a point of view of, like, from my beginning. So it's like a collage. My life always felt like a collage that I always put together type of thing. Like, even where I started off living in different places and stuff like that. Ran away a couple times, of course. Got fed up uh, living in the foster home type of thing. So lived underneath bridges, lived in abandoned buildings, all kind of stuff like that. And this was all in Colorado? No, no, this was back way uh Carolina in North Carolina. Wow, okay. So can you recall one of your earliest memories of creating art in a meaningful way or in, I guess in any kind of way? Well, I would have to say um like like I said I always liked it all kind of different forms of music like any kind of like a you know first start off with soul music. So I always liked it R&B and soul. Then it went from there to, as far as if I say my own first independent of creating some art was, I would say, like, writing. When I would begin, like, started writing type of thing. I was just, I didn't even know, like, to be honest with you, that it was called, like, a poem, like, poetry and all that type of stuff. I was just kind of writing out of, like, my spirit, like, writing what I felt. I used to, I, <laughs> I had a lot of, like, depressed poems when I first was young. Like, <laughs> most of it was surrounded around, like, my conditions like asking questions, like uh, I remember my first poem was uh, uh, "Why doesn't my mom want me?" That was like my first poem I wrote, and uh, I remember my teacher kind of looking over my shoulder, and she was like, "I'm supposed to be doing my homework," and she was like, "What are you writing?" So she grabbed the, the notebook, and uh, she was like, uh, and then she read it, and then was kind of tripped out about it because she was like, "Is that like?" She thought it was like a metaphor, like like she didn't know who I was living with at the time or nothing like that. But I was telling her like, "No, I'm like." I'm like literally in the adoption agency like right now. And she was like, oh, she kind of felt bad a little bit. But I was telling her, no, nah, no, nah, don't. it's not no for you to feel bad or feel good about nothing like that. But that was like, I would be, I would be my first piece of like art, art if I have to. Time, How old time, were you? Maybe like, i say about like eight, nine. And your teacher did not know that you were in the foster system? No, nah, they, they didn't really. They were just looking at kids for, you know, I mean, they knew who kids who was kind of well off because their parents came and picked them up. But most of us, we just kind of walked home. They didn't really look into much of it like that. Wow. If I didn't have a way of expressing it, some form of, of expressing it, I believe in, I don't think I would have made it through a lot of stuff I made it through. And I think sometimes people who find themselves like, um, you know, like they have so much stress on their heart, so much stress. I believe in like art is like their release. It's like that. It's the stress reliever where you be like, even if my life is like destroyed, I can still create something. And uh, I think uh, me and Draper, when Draper was speaking about it before, when he was like, even if you saying like creating buildings, say if, I, if you create a building, you like, OK, that's a form of art. It's still something you'd be like, I might have the worst life in the world, but. Through that, you uh, you feel like you can create life. Or say you take somebody that can't have kids. They said like they, they can't have kids at all, you know, and they're not ready to adopt or whatever. That comes later. But say if they, like, you know what, I can still create something. I can give something life. I can breathe life into something to make it where people be like, wow, like, you made that or you, you made that building type of thing or something like that. So then art is a creation to you? It's, it, I believe it's a form of creation. I believe it's a form of uh, creation and relation. Um, we create to relate. So in my head, if I look at, say, if I look at uh, a drawing that uh, that Draper, uh, Dr Draper has drew, uh, which he's a great artist, by the way. Um, yeah, and uh, if you've seen our logo. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Applause. Yes. Applause. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking at, yes, gallery. Applause. I need applause. I need that. Yeah, so I look at it like that and I say, <clears throat> say if I'm looking at it, is the relation part is what am I looking at when I say he's relating to something that a person be like, well, what'd you see when you looked at that? And he say, well, it's a force. He drew a force. Say if he drew a force. And he says, uh, well, what do you see? And I say, well, I see loneliness. And it's a trip to think out of out of the forest. Most people would get the obvious stuff like a tree and stuff like that. But no, I mean, where'd you go? Why, how'd you go to loneliness? He's like, well, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, oh, now we're getting a little bit deeper. So you feel lonely. So <clears throat> little stuff like that, I believe that's like the relating part of art. Where we, where we look at things and be like, one person sees one thing, one person sees another thing. Or they might see the same thing. So I believe in the creation part to answer your question. Creation and relation is what art is to me. I remember being, this was like a big moment for me. Uh, I won a, a poetry contest. You know, the poetry contest when the kids are young and like eighth grade or something. So, and I remember like my teacher was like all ecstatic. She was like, oh, this is a great honor. This is, they're going to present you in front of the whole class and you're going to love this and they're going to bring you in front of the auditorium and you representing our class and stuff. And I was all kind of like, Ugh. but, uh, and she was so, and then the part that got me and I was all kind of geeked up for myself. But then when she said, you should invite your parents. And that was kind of like, I, I, at the time, you know, being a youngster at the time, a kid, I was really kind of embarrassed. I didn't want to admit it. Like, so I was embarrassed that like tell, telling people that my parents, I don't know who my dad is and my mom's in jail. So in prison. So what I did was I kind of I kind of flaked out on it. I didn't go. I didn't attend. Mm. So I went, hung out with my partners, my homeboys on the street corner. And they, you know, they accept you. They don't they don't want you to write no poems and <laughs> do no art stuff. They just like, hey, man, as long as you're doing, they, you know, I kind of I kind of blew it off. And then uh, I remember uh, 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 a nice young lady that was in my grade. She was like, why didn't you go? Why didn't you go? She caught me later on. I was kind of like playing it all off, smoking cigarettes and stuff like, oh, man. That stuff is squares and stuff like that. But <laughs> I, I trip back on that type of thing. I would be like, uh, that would be like the first time I ever kind of turned my back on art and kind of like started going down the path of kind of like neglecting it a little bit, like kind of turning my back to it on the outside. One of the big pivotal things was uh, I finally got adopted by a family, you know, um, a lady named Janet Graham and uh, the Graham family. So, uh, so she was really really like an angel you know she's end up seeing me and my brothers on some kind of campaign and type of things they have for adopted kids and stuff so what she did was uh she went and got all of for all four of my brothers from different home different adoption agencies oh my gosh and put us all underneath the same roof wow so and um she couldn't have kids so she raised all of us at the same time underneath the same roof and mind you at this point we hadn't seen each other in like seven eight years had went by before so we was I remember <laughs> I remember when she had us sitting around and we was all sitting around looking at each other but we was kind of like you know you recognizing facial features of your brother but you looking like I don't know this dude <laughs> <laughs> type, type of situation so but it was it was very heavy when I thought about that when I thought about her doing that and um how old were you when she adopted you I think I was I might have been like 10 maybe 10 12 type of thing I was like yeah I think I was like 12 years old and uh, for for a minute we had what I, what I like to call a normal life. Like we had a normal life. We had first time ever we had um, it was down south, so in North Carolina. So we had like a real yard, dog puppies and stuff like that. And uh, we had ate our first like meal at a table at the kitchen table for the first time. None of us knew how to eat. We was all eating like <laughs> savages and stuff. We might as well be eating with our hands and stuff. And she was you know always really. Real big on uh, table etiquette. It's real big on like saying grace before before you eat and just conducting yourself like the right type of way, you know. And um, so a lot of that kind of gave us like a little sense of normal. But uh, as you know, and as soon as life starts to get right for you, it seems like it, you get thrown the curveball. So she um, she ended up passing away because uh, actually. It was a dog in the road, and she ended up grabbing the steering wheel. When my older brother finally got his uh, driving license, because I was think I was 12, he was like 16. 
So when he finally got his driving license, she ended up grabbing the steering wheel to uh, revere from a dog that had ran across. And the car flipped over. And out of five people in the car, she was the only one that passed away. The reason why I brought that up is because, like, that's kind of like when I looked at I always try to make her proud with the art, like, because she, she was really big into English. She was really big into us learning how to read and write and uh, actually having our education. So part of that, and she always took a note to the fact that not only did I write, but I wrote, like, beautiful poems, and I would write her poems and stuff and be like, yeah, and she would always like like them and stuff like uh, ask me questions about them and stuff like that. It's the first time somebody ever really paid attention to my art. And uh, between her and my teacher, Miss White, uh, I had a teacher named Miss White. She was a uh, she did the same thing. Like she was real big into asking me questions. Or why did I choose to use that word when I could have used this word? Why did you say um, um, the moment my heart felt as if it was a thousand horses? She would say. Why would you even say that? Like, like, where'd you get that metaphor? Like, why you didn't just say my heart was beating or something regular? And I was just like, I don't know. I just like creative writing. I like to, I like words that make people kind of words with action. I like words that make people look and say, like, wow, that's kind of a neat way of saying something. You know, if you listen to most rap, rap is nothing but a form of somebody saying something jazzy or somebody saying something creative uh, in a different form that you probably might not be used to or something that you're foreign to but now you're walking around saying the same word that's what we get words uh from that really rappers that use in their creativity a form of creativity you know so rap was like your first love artistically yeah yeah rap was definitely my first love yeah I, yeah i love it, uh, anything rap me too <laughs> so <laughs> why why rap though why not rock why not country why not soul music r&b why rap I just, I just felt like, uh, of course, the, the image that I see, the image that we see, uh, as I looked on the television, I seen, uh, you know, I see certain artists and stuff like that. I always said to myself, like, wow, like, you know, uh, they're tell, telling the same story that I'm telling. They're coming from the same place I'm coming. I relate. I think I related better to those type of stories when a person look up and be like, wow, his, he ain't got no mama neither. <laughs> so, or, or. You know, his or his brother sell dope too, or something like that. I always thought they the relatability, or even the struggles of of what it meant to, like I really liked it, the success stories. I liked it to see what it meant to come from a place like Marcy Projects and then be a billionaire, or a person that came from you know a little a little small town in Atlanta, Georgia, end up having a, a CD go diamond. You know, stuff like that always uh, moved me. I was one of them persons that uh, one of them kids that read magazines and read like the backup information on them, read like their real names and read where they was from and uh, and like their struggle to get where they got from. Like I always liked the struggle of saying like you see a, a rap artist or you see any kind of artist that says, yeah, I used to work at a chicken shack back in the day. Then you look at now he's he's a millionaire or is he's there, successful. Is there one that inspired you back then? Uh, I liked it. Uh, I liked it, the fact that uh, Puff Daddy, you know, actually worked in the mailroom. Uh, he worked in the mailroom before he really, uh, like, he was really that big hustler type of dude, that successful hustler type of so dude. So this Puff Daddy, I'm thinking, like, that's the 90s, right? Most definitely. Right? Okay. And so what about you, Draper? What about me? What about, what, I mean, you said that, you said that, you said that rap was one of your first great loves, too. Why? I think it was. Yeah. Like, artistically and... You know, feel free to hop in there, right. Mr. Graham. Uh, but I believe that uh, I believe that uh, you know, for black people, you know, in America, um, that was the first time that we could really own a culture that we believed to be our own. Right, and so. That's what draw it. It drew me to it, and like like you said, you know the stories, the stories of struggle, you know, and even the stories of hope that you know you could be a success. Right now, and you know if you agree with me, kick in. But um, or if you disagree, but you know, growing up how we grew up, you know, the only way out. You know, becoming a doctor wasn't realistic. Right. Uh, becoming, you know, even becoming a nurse, that wasn't realistic. Not at all. 
for us being realistic, <laughs> and this sounds so bizarre, but it's the way we grew up. Realistic for us was playing some kind of sport yep. or becoming a musician. Most definitely. And or going to jail. Slanging rock, slanging yeah, rock or a mean dope. jump shot. <laughs> yeah, slanging rocks or you got to have a mean jump shot, one or the other. And so I, I understand what you mean about gravitating towards, you know, that culture because, I mean, what else did you have? And I think, like, music videos played a big part Definitely. in it, too, because... Definitely. In the MTV generation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, seeing... Because when we, I remember growing up and you would watch TV, the only black faces you, you we saw were like good times. Right. And they were broke. Right. right? <laughs> they didn't have all, no money. All the time. They were, <laughs> yeah. So um, they didn't have any money. So all the, and then when you did see TV right. and you did see, you know, America's definition of success, it was, you know, they were always white faces that that were in, you know, positions of power right. that were in uh, what we call successful positions. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we saw in music videos, because that's where we saw ourselves. And so I think that's a reason I know that's a reason that I gravitated towards towards music, towards rap and like the real life people that I knew. um, Like real human beings in the community they didn't they struggled so much that that was something i didn't want right you know it turned us off it turned right. us off from that when did you catch your current case uh 2004 how old were you uh, 18 okay so 18 you've, years old you've currently been in prison for 15 years. 15 years on a 72-year case. 72-year sentence. Yeah. Or sentence, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, where was art in that time? In the time of... Well, I was, it, was, it was still around. It was still present. It was still present. Like I said, when I got, when I got arrested, I was already still kind of doing music. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I was already recording music at the time, doing shows in the Colorado Springs area type of thing uh with a with a group called uh, Royal Click with uh Charles Pelzer and uh so we was doing music and, and and really trying to make it you know trying to get to that point making it so after I got arrested kind of art at that point was like I was kind of like sad kind of like depressed a little bit because I couldn't do music so I'm all like man uh, from this point 72 year sentence you know two newborn kids that I've never touched I say I would say I was kind of like depressed a little bit, like, oh, man, music is kind of like over for me right now type of thing. So that's that's where it kind of like, I kind of like started acting out a little bit, like, man, I don't really care too much about nothing, you know what I mean? This right? is in prison. I'm in prison, You're at, in this prison point. at this point. And I looked at it like if I can't do my art, I can't do what frees me and what brings me joy, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm always been that type of person where it doesn't matter if I had a, a lot of time I, and I always tell people people used to be like uh, well what do, you just got a 72 year sentence so you care more about doing your music and doing your art than you do the 72 year sentence I said exactly at 18 I cared more about I, I says when you look at my life at the history of my life what do I have it to compare it to as good like so if the person 72 year sentence I'm like I knew exactly what I was doing like to get this time type of thing and how did you cope with that I uh, found the first piece of paper I could find and just started writing, writing raps, writing raps on, on, uh, on the first piece of paper I could find because I, I refused to like let it go, like let the dream go and type of thing. I was trying to just still like write raps. Maybe I, and then I was kind of thinking in my head, well, maybe they can overturn the sentence and I'll get out and then uh, I'll still be able to have raps and stuff and still be able to have my career type of thing. And then what happened? It, I didn't get out. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, but uh, it's, it's funny that it's funny about that, though, because I actually I was like uh, I'm classified as what they classify in the court system as a one percenter. I actually did win in the court of uh, the district court. Uh, I actually did win. So I overturned the 72 year sentence, went back to court and they gave it back to me. Why is that? Because it was remanded. Uh, it was a remanded sentence that basically says, um, 
you already had a six. You both have a sixty-five and a seventy-two because I had basically thirty-one aggravated robberies and nine kidnappings. So they was already like we already gave you like love on the fact that we gave you that little bit of time because you know one kidnapping can send you to prison forever. One uh, ten robberies, <laughs> you're finished. You know, even if they gave you sixteen years of peace on them. So the remandants basically was saying like you're stuck with the seventy-two year sentence. So how did how did you become an uh, how did you become an author? Oh, that's a good question. Um, From rap to well, would I first it started with poems. I was like, you know, I think poetry and, and music are like you know twins. So as I as I started transition, I was really kind of like writing. Like I said, my first earlier rap, my first earlier even poems was like really really sad and in ag seg. By this time, I'm in ag seg acting up. So Wait, to me, so it's, yeah, hold on. Yeah. Explain what that is for people. Oh, uh, as I said, it's a administrative segregation, uh, what I like to call uh, lock you away because you don't know how to act in prison. <laughs> so, uh, and you were sent there. I was sent there uh, when they used to have it. They used to have a 23-hour lockdown. Uh, basically, it's kind of like a reflectance time. I would like to... Like, <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Sent, reflection time. <laughs> time for your... Time, no, no. Time for you to reflect <laughs> upon your actions. <laughs> And so how years though? How long were you in Adzik? Uh I went two times, uh, three times a piece, three three years a piece. Okay, so six years. Six years. And uh, how old were you when you were first sent to Adzik? Um, twenty one. So you had like three years in general population. Yes. And then you were sent to twenty one, and you were there two or twenty four. In my first prison, I got my first prison. I got Adzik in Lyme in my first prison. I and then to. you, so you explain to people like what that, like a, you know, you're, what this is, right? Because to us, we right. take for granted that we have this right, knowledge. We, we have this knowledge about. So like, what did you do? Because you don't just go to ADSEG. You have, your behavior can. Well, my behavior was, uh, it was surrounded around gang, gang violence, you know, type of thing. I mean, uh, I like to call it the, uh, the prison football team. You know, that's where uh, 30 on 30, you know, Battle Royal and, uh, <laughs> and, Battle Royale, and, and the Chow yeah. Hall. Oh, man. You know, you know, it's it's, it's funny that uh, I, the reason why I relate it so much to football is because, you know, it's like teams and your team and this team. And you say, well, we think we can trump you. Or you think you can trump us or, you know, they have a full fledged fight. So we end up having a riot in Lyman. I was a part of a riot, engaging in a riot, inciting a riot in uh, Lyman. So that's what got me accepted. For three years. For three years. So you're in a room. Right. A cell. A cell. Six by nine. How many hours a day? 23 hours a day. You get one hour out of your cell. And what do you do for 23 hours a day? Well, for the first six months, you go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or I was, and it's funny, though, because like I, like I was saying, the, with me, I was one of them people that you know a lot of people tripped out on because I didn't really go crazy. My thing was art. Like, I always... I was like the person that you can always find like rapping to myself. Like COs walk by, they'll tell you like Graham, he's always rapping to himself in his cell. He's always kind of re- real reserved. I always felt like as long as you gave me a pen and a piece of paper, I can go from there. I, like that was like my, my, my island that I used to escape to. So the music kept you sane. The music definitely kept me sane. Your and, own music that you created. Yes. And then, and then they gave me... Uh, they, they let us have our televisions. We can have our TVs in a, a administrative segregation. So then they play music over the channel, a special channel, satellite radio, where we can actually hear music and hear other people's music. So I was kind of like in heaven at that point. You, you give me a honey bun and some music, I'm ready to go. You know, <laughs> you know, I got I'm a real simple man. You know, one of my favorite songs by Leonard Skinner is "Simple Man." Okay, so art that art form was an escape for you, right? You just call it your island. That's kind of like, it seems isolated still, though. Yeah, and that's the thing about it is uh, I, think, I think art is an isolated, you know, thing that people have. Every, everybody has their own little island that they escape to that even when the rest of your world is like crumbling down, you know, you take a, a, a painter. You know, a painter, his, his life might be just in shambles, but he'll go and grab the paintbrush and just get to work, you know, and and. and Maybe he'll create that, whatever like, his hurt is, whatever his joy is, whatever his pain is, he'll create it and put it on paper and he'll leave it on paper and say, I left that on paper. So I was able to transfer. I always looked at it like people that's, that's into the art, we can take 
our pain, we can take our joy, we can take our hurt, and we can transfer it onto paper or transfer it onto a canvas, and we can actually kind of feel better about it, and actually as if we left it there compared to keeping it in chest. Most people that keep theirs in their heart, I feel that they, they don't, I feel sometimes I feel bad for them as if they don't have an island to escape to, or they don't have that outlet basically to say, I'm trying to express myself, but I don't know how to. I'm just picturing you in the cell, um, and you have your honey bun, and you have your music, and you have your piece <laughs> of paper. Talk about and your, the honey bun. <laughs> <laughs> you have your piece of paper and your pen, right? And you have the ability to create, right? It's, what you at and that what moment? What happened? Yeah. At that moment, you have to look at it from from like you, as you you do art yourself. At that moment, you're you're free. I mean, it's it's messed up. You you definitely understand your situation. But at that moment, you're free. You're free to say, you know, you're free to let. And, 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 it, and it got even more complex and more advanced when I was able to send a poem out through mail. If I if I feel like I write I write a poem, and I send it out in the mail to somebody, and I would send them. I, I was I was laughing because I would get a book, like a random places. Like I just get a book with like a bunch of addresses in it, like a like the directory headquarters guide. Uh, they got books like um, the Poets Market and stuff like that. I would send them out and not even really um, be ready for a response back. I was more looking for long as I can, as long as somebody feels that they understand this, then I felt like I was free for that moment. I used to always take like 10, 20 stamps and I would tell my friends, I'm like, I'm in a different state every every day. I'm in a different state. So I would tell people like I'm not locked up because somebody in Georgia knows that I wrote this today. Or they know how I feel. Somebody in Canada knows that I feel depressed. Or somebody in way in, you know, in uh, Utah knows that uh, I'm locked up in a cell and this is what I'm going through. So that was like a form of being free as well. Draper asked a good question. He says, well, how did you get your publishing deal? That's literally how I did it. I took, uh, I actually took uh, 99 stamps. I took 99 stamps and I wrote 99 publishing companies. And I said to myself, from AdSec, from AdSec. And I told him, I said, I told myself, I was like, you know what? At worst, you would have to, I don't, a no is not, no, I'm not, I don't trip on no. Like if you tell me no, no, I'm like, that's my whole life. But I'm saying against the odds, I'm like, okay, it's 50 cents, it's a sticker, you know, it's a stamp with a US uh, a flag on it that's a, that gives me like a transportation. I'm able to move still. Hmm. And all I need is one yes. All I need is one yes. And I, I got a, I got a theory. I got a theory about like companies and stuff like that. I believe if you, if you hound the person enough, anybody that creates anything, whether if it's art or what if they're just a company uh, a person that, that's uh, surrounded around success, they're going to least love your drive. They're going to say, hey man, uh, you know, I really didn't, you, you wrote me like 30 times and that really like drove me like, uh, but I, I see that you want it so badly. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to help you out because something, uh, I believe artists connect just like if I, if, uh, if Draper owns his own company and, and, and say, if I'm an artist and I keep drawing, I just keep shooting him these pieces. And every year he looks up, he's like, man, this kid has been shot shooting me these, he has been sending me these art pieces for 10 years. Great. You know what kind of endurance that would take? It's in your book. It's 40 Degrees of Love. And I am just so proud to know that you you have your own LLC. You have your own publishing. I love all your titles, by the way. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, like, I'm holding a book right now that you have published. And I'm sitting in the vault at DRDC with you. Right. And you've been in prison for 15 years. And right. six of those were in AdSeg. AdSeg. And, like... Happy to be blind is is the poem I'm on, but there's a quote underneath it that says, we are made by the likes of our conditions and broken by the spoils of our comforts. And I, even though you wrote this, like you were not made by the likes of your conditions because you put a stamp and sent a poem to Utah. Most definitely. So you were in Utah because okay. you connected with somebody through your poem. Right. But I want to know, was, was it Miss Graham? Did she help? I go back to her because I know you're very proud of when you say William S. Graham. Right. There's a pride in you when you say that. Most definitely. Um, 
I go back to you. Was you losing her like a point that inspired you? Or is it something that started you down the path of destruction that it, led to your creation? Like it was a, I would say, I would say the second one, you know, it, my destruction, I had to destroy something in order to create it because, uh, by, by me losing her, I always kind of felt like for, for anybody to go and get four boys that, you know, that you didn't give birth to and say, I'm going to put them all together underneath the same roof. I always looked at her like, you know, that has to be an angel move. I'm like, she had to be an angel to even consider that, you know. So, and and to teach them and to guide them into, you know, she was hard on us, you know, hard on us about education, hard on us about, like, con- conducting ourselves and stuff like that. So, um... Is that the drive that you have now that you can hopefully give to your... You have sons, right? Two sons? I have a son and a daughter. Son and a daughter. Yep. I'm thinking about... I'm thinking about, I can't stop thinking about what you just said about um, your poem being sent out to, you know, a different location and then someone reading it and the act of them witnessing it and reading it is witnessing you as free. I can't stop thinking about that idea. And it makes me, as an artist, as an educator, it makes me wonder about why we create art. Right. Is it, um, which is a question that we've, is, you know, has been asked since the beginning of time. Um, is it to, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, sort of tracking back you writing this poem about why my mom doesn't love me when you're right. eight, eight, years, eight old. years old, you, um, seeing, you know, folks in music videos that you wanted to be like, and that represented hope and something different in a way out. And so you, uh, begin to, that becomes your journey and that becomes your goal. Even if the way you want, you went about it was, you know, harmful or dangerous. Right. right. Um, and then you have this practice inside, you're in prison, you're in ADSEG, you're writing, you're still creating music. I, I'm just thinking about the role of, in art of creating for self, creating for almost like a therapeutic need to process and to understand, um, your existence and your experience. And then also the role of witness, Mm. And we think I think a lot about this in relationship to DUPI um, and to the program that I run because I think a lot about how important it is or not to have um, like culminating projects, performances, as opposed to just a class session right. that doesn't have any sort of witnessing aspect to it. And so I'm this this idea of someone reading your poem in in Canada or Utah or whatever, and them witnessing your work and thus witnessing you. And the power in that and how incredibly important it is to us as artists um, to be witnessed. I mean, I think as humans to be witnessed. But yes, I I think what I'm trying to get at here, I'm I'm sort of rambling, but I'm processing out loud, um, is if you can speak to sort of what art has done for you, is it um, this sort of more personal therapeutic piece or is it this more... Or is the witnessing therapeutic as well, and or is it both and? It's uh, I would say it's I would say it's both and. It's it's everything. It's um, it's every it's everything to me. It's it's I was looking at it from. I, one I was under. I like I was saying I knew my situation. I rationalized. I was in prison, a young a young person in prison for seventy two years, but I'm also very very prideful. I'm very very kind of like independent. Uh, like uh, like Terry Mosley was saying, um, uh, he was saying that he's very very independent. So um, when the moment I got out of uh, Ag Seg, my also my uh, my baby brother was my cellmate. Uh, his name was Carcass Graham. So me and him were cellmates in Territorial, same mom, same dad, same case. So and he ended up passing away from a very very rare cancer that only ten thousand people catch. So I remember sitting in the room with him uh, after I got out of that uh the first time. They moved me over to Territorial. And uh, Sergeant, you know, he grabbed me out. He says, uh, Sergeant of the facility said, listen, your brother's here. We know he's here. Uh, we're go- he's, uh, he has cancer. We're going to put you back behind the walls with him, and uh, which is Territorial uh, Correctional Facility. So I remember, like, thinking, like, being real, like, anticipate, like, is he going to be sick? Is he going to be, like, 
hurting? Is he going? How is he going to be? You know, I'm thinking like, how should I interpret him? You know, should I like? But I remember like seeing him in good spirits when I went over there. He was he still had uh, cancer, and uh, so we hugged and stuff. And I was like, man, I was like, man, boy, you ain't got tall. I was like, man, he was you know taller than me. Felt like a midget. He was he was like, man, uh, he's like you short now. <laughs> I was like, uh, so we ended up being cellmates, and they actually put us in the room together, and, and we had a late night conversation. Um, I said, man, I, I, I said, I said, bro, look, man, I don't know what you really want me to do because you're, you're basically, they saying you're dying in six months. They saying the cancer, basically you're dying in six months. So I asked him, I said, what do you want me to do? Like what, what kind of legacy would you want? And what, what do you want me to do? I was really confused at that time. He said, uh, I don't want you to do nothing. I just want you to keep writing. And I want you to basically take care of them, take care of my nephew and my niece and, uh, show people that, you know, we've been through something and, uh, you know, he told me, act like you got some sense, you know, I mean, you're, you're a very unique person, man. And, uh, and it's from, from, a, from my baby brother's perspective to say, you're one of the most unique people I've ever met. Even when we were young, he was like, you were the kid while we were worrying about this and worrying about what we're going to eat and worry about that. You were over in the corner writing a poem about art or some weird stuff. He's like, man, you, <laughs> he's like, call me the weird person. Like you're the weird brother, you know, you're the brother over there writing art. We trying to steal some candy to feed ourselves, you know? And, um, so stuff like that, I always looked at it um, like that was a promise, uh, you know, to, to a dying man. I wish Bracey granted to a dying man to when I first got my first book and to see him in the acknowledgments, uh, rest in peace. So it made me feel like, you know, when I looked up to the sky, I was like, hey, bro, you know, I did what you, you know, I did what you asked me to do. I did what, uh, you know, I fulfilled that promise to you. And, um, you know, I, I felt like that uh, that was a big part of my life, too, like being the man of my word to him and being the man of my word to, to the art and staying true to it. I didn't have, I had no idea it would manifest into what it is right now, to be honest with you. And, um, and honestly, uh, the six books is just what is being seen. I have 34 books written, finished in my room, like right now, as we speak, 34 finished books. So, and, and it's, and many more, I want to, I want to start reaching out to people and started even writing their story. Like, from their perspective type of thing. I remember when I first met you and right. it was in territorial. Um, damn, that was a long time ago. Yep. Um, My brother just had left when you came up. Right. Yep. And I remember you in a different space. Right. Right. Not saying that you weren't creating, but saying that, you know, you were, you were a bad actor. Right. <laughs> so, um, How did you get from that point? You know, being, you know, actively involved in rule breaking, right, right? Right. To where you are today, you know, and how does art, how did art play a role in that? It's a, um, I believe the last time I did go to AgSeg, the last time I went to AgSeg, I remember like just be, really being kind of hard on myself because I was actually trying. Like I've never really tried in life. I felt like I was always like, okay, it is what it is. So, you know, I was working in a, in the in the in territory, I was also working in industries when we first met. I was working in ter- uh, making license plate. I made license plate from 2006 to 2009. So um, just re- getting up every day, where you know we're getting up at four o'clock in the morning, going to the uh, um, tag plant, and getting off at four in the afternoon. And uh, excuse me, part of that made me feel like you know I, I like to call it grown man time. You know, I felt like a grown man. I, I end up sending money home. Uh, to my kids one time and uh, my kid my when, my when my son wanted the the Camelo Anthony's when he played for Denver I sent I sent him you know the Camelo Anthony's and I was like I'm like wow that's that made me feel real good and be able to send money home so I started to kind of mature a little bit and as I matured I noticed that even my art matured as well like my form of writing matured as well like I started seeing things from different perspectives I started seeing things like mm, you know yeah uh, maybe that's kind of childish or, you know, maybe that's, just, maybe I need to grow up a little bit, you know, stop kind of get, I didn't want to be entombed in like the age that most people, when they come to prison, I know a lot of people will contest to this. Most people, when they come to prison, they get kind of frozen in time. Mm-hmm. If you see a person that got locked up in the seventies, you see them 
they still kind of act like it's the 70s. You know, they only thing they missing is platform shoes and, <laughs> and, and, and afros and stuff. And they be like, yeah, baby, what's up? What's up, Jack? Lay, yeah. it, on, lay it on me and stuff. I'm in the 90s. So. <laughs> like, so we're, we're stuck, like, in the 90s. And wherever, wherever, you, wherever you get locked up, that's where you kind of... Time stops. Because you feel like, and because of uh, what, makes, what makes DU Pie, what makes uh, things like uh, Bridging the Gap so unique is the fact that we get a chance to grow you know as we sit around right now equipment uh equipment that the average person would you know try to shake you down you know you're not supposed to be touching equipment like right but this is like grown this is like grown up when you say so i believe a lot of experiences that doc did allow gave me a lot of time to grow up to answer your question i slowly by shortly started to free myself more and more i started to liberate myself more and more and then i started saying well the more opportunities I got, the more I had to act accordingly to the opportunity because a person still playing in my head, like I said, uh, with my mother, still saying, conduct yourself like you got some sense. Don't be in there acting like no, no heathen. And it's funny because I have like two lives. I have a little small portion of this life, but it was so impactful on me right. that it makes it trumps the part of me that feels like well, I'm supposed to act like this because it's an excuse. Like I was born in prison uh, because I slept underneath bridges and I've, I've lived on, on the wrong side of the street. I'm curious about yeah, what you think about the idea of arts being more, you know, a program being something that's offered in a more sort of formal way. That's a good question. Since for so long, that's not what it's been for you. I, I definitely look at it from a point of view. Now I say... <laughs> About time. What took so long? <laughs> I was I was on this island, you know. But it it definitely feels uh it feels good, you know. It feels good to until I what I was doing was I think it gives us a platform to guys that are artists, guys that uh, like Terry Mosley, like uh Andrew Draper, like uh Sean Marshall, like Damon Davis. I believe that gives us um a huge huge platform and guys like Michael Clifton that that. We can all now connect. And DU Pi, it makes us say, you give us a platform. If it doesn't matter if that platform is to be, uh, you know, how do you look at acting? Or how do you look at theater? How do you look at artwork? You know, I, I believe in, all you, you gave us a, a home. You gave us something that we can actually say to be stamped and to say, and then have it go through a university where, that was very heavy because I always felt like I should have kind of made uh, my, my mother proud by going to college. So to even see my name beside somebody in college or see my name on a platform that's in college, DU Pi, the first word, Denver University Pi. So that's a heavy thing to even tell my family back home, like, hey, you know, you know, they think I'm in college somewhere. I'm like, they like, they like, they like, they like I, we knew you went to college or something. I'm like, nah, that's, I'm in jail. I know with DU Pi, we have big plans for huge productions as far as drama and theater. I know they've offered creative writing classes. Um, and I know personally to be part of those, just the feeling of community that I have established through the the brief, just what we have right here in right. this vault. I mean, I don't think that you could have that anywhere else Not at all. besides without programs like DU Pi and other programs. I don't want to, you know, discredit other ones that have come through. And these are all volunteer programs. I want everybody listening to know that that's what we're hoping within creates is that you'll look within not only yourself, but come within prison walls and get involved in our community um, because there are amazing men and women within these walls and like sitting across from William Graham, I'm going to get emotional because, and look, Mike's trying to give me some tissue right now, you know, <laughs> um, you're not just a kidnapper. You're not just a robber. And that's what I want people to know. Like, I hope that this um, platform that you're creating for yourself opens the doors exactly. that, um, that you won't have to do 72 years in the Department of Corrections. Right. And I don't want to discredit any um, 
any pain that you've caused, but I want people to know that you are doing so much healing within here. Like what you're part of here, you are giving of yourself every day in here. And you said you write all the time. Like you've even written during our podcast yeah. recordings in here. I thank you for talking with us today, William. Thank you. And I hope thank everybody you. gets one of your books. Cause I mean, just 40 degrees of love, just some of the things that I was reading in there is awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 40 Degrees of Love, available on Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> and leave the door open, available on Amazon.com. <laughs> this is one of my favorite sort of things that's come out of our time together is in the rec- uh, in our recording sessions here in the vault, um, we have a resident poet, which is uh, William S. Graham, who you've heard from today. And he often, during our meetings and during our... Um, uh, uh, recording sessions will write poems that um, are inspired by the conversations that are going on. And this is one that came out of one of the recording sessions we had a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's called A Better Version. Why be better? A lingering cold. Each breath tells me the truth. I listen with eager ears. My heart needs proof. Anger, disappointment, mistrust, hurt. I want to go home. I'm tired of being alone, tired of actions not being shown. I'm a better version of my yesterday, changing myself for the tomorrow. Who's to say, tomorrow I'll have a better day, when the sun shines, when the grass blades move, when time halts, when nothing else stays but me, a better version of art. Thank you for being with us today, William. Thank you very much. Next time on Within. Michael J. Clifton, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. And I really called out to God and I feel like he didn't answer me. And so I literally, I tried to call out to the devil. And sad to say, but I tried to make a deal with the devil. And I I literally, literally was like, all right, somebody save me. Somebody help me. We wanted to include more voices from incarcerated folks across the state of Colorado. So we started a newsletter. It's called Reverberations from Within. If you're interested in reading it or in sending pieces of writing into it, visit our website at thisiswithin.com. If you're incarcerated in the state of Colorado and you want to submit material to our newsletter, please speak to your programs manager in your facility. Within is a collaborative production between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Our hosts are Denise Presson, resident of Denver Women's Correctional Facility, Andrew Draper, resident of Sterling Correctional Facility, and executive producer and DUPI founder and director, Ashley Hamilton. Within is produced by Caroline Sheehan. Associate producers are Michael J. Clifton and Sarah Berry, both of whom are incarcerated. Mr. William S. Graham is our resident poet as well as a resident of the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Media production and creative support by Angel Lopez and Chuck Martinez, both of whom are residents of Sterling Correctional Facility. Our newspaper liaison is Terry Mosley Jr., who is also a resident of Sterling Correctional Facility. Sound engineering and editing by Jonathan Howard. Full episode details, resources, and additional content, including how to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, Reverberations from Within, is located on our website at thisiswithin.com.